0: This podcast has been made available by the Urban Development Institute of Australia, also known as the UDIA. Welcome to the Planning Exchange Podcast. I'm Jess Noonan and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host Peter Jewell.
1: Great to see you again, Jess. It's
0: very exciting and quite surreal to be undertaking our very first face-to-face and socially distanced podcast in over 12 months.
1: Hopefully the equipment works, Jess.
0: (laughs) Bit rusty. Anyway... (laughs) Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Horatzis from Macroplan, who we first interviewed actually back in 2016, so how time flies. Today's podcast coincides with the release of a national paper from Brian on working from home. Brian is a highly regarded economist and is one of Australia's foremost strategic advisors, with a particular focus on private sector property involvement, understanding communities, tourism and social trends. Brian has more than 30 years' experience as an economist, futurist and strategic planner. In the conversation today, we're also joined by UDIA's National Vice President, Max Schiffman. Max is Chief Operating Officer of Intrapac Property, one of Australia's largest private developers. Max's focus is on the continued successful delivery of IntraPak's project portfolio and the pursuit of new opportunities and growth. Welcome to the podcast, Brian and Max.
2: Uh, how are you? today?
0: I'm very good. It's good to finally see people face to face. It feels very surreal.
2: Oh yeah, it's uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it is amazing. Yeah, I've been in ISO for two weeks because I was caught at the airport <laughs> and today's my first day out,
1: so wow. <laughs> Great
3: timing for this. <laughs> very
0: good timing.
1: <laughs> now, uh, Brian, or as many people know you, Harry, we'd like to start just talking about um uh, the state of the nation paper and work you've you work you've done related to that. Can so the just-
0: the work that you prepared on that fed into um, that report. So I guess we're keen to understand the demographic shift that we've seen across Australia over the last twelve months.
2: Well, it's been a substantial dem- demographic shift. Um, it's it's amazing. It's a, it's historic. Um, I'll describe it this way. For the first time in Australian history, net overseas migration has gone negative. Mm. And uh, that's, that's an amazing thing because we, typically we have 300,000 people at the peak of 2010, 2011, just be, before the GFC impacted. Uh, 300,000 people coming to Australia. And uh, this year we'll, we'll see uh, minus 30,000. Wow. So that's, that's, that's amazing, amazing statistic. But it will not be evenly distributed, and it will cause significant disruption because the states the states um, won't react. All reacted to COVID differently. For example, West Australia didn't have any any impacts. Um, Queensland had lower impacts. The eastern states of Melbourne and Sydney had substantial substantial impacts, and also they were havens for international students and the the biggest category of Reduction is in, in international students and substantial number, number of visitors and working working visas, and they 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 have combined to to have this effect, and the other states didn't have as many as many of those categories, so they they will
1: be less neg- negatively affected. And Max, is this playing out in what you're seeing on the ground as well?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even through the the thick of the lockdowns last year, there was a marked difference between what we were seeing in Victoria and other parts of the country. Uh, In fact, we had, for various reasons, having great projects as one of them, but also uh, some of the stimulus, we saw the impacts outside of uh, Victoria very, very significantly. Uh, In terms of sales and inquiry, uh, it was very strong, particularly in the South East Queensland, Northern New South Wales corridor, and during the, the heart of the lockdown was very subdued in Victoria, just because people couldn't get out. You know, they were locked up within 5 ks of their house. Uh, they couldn't go and touch and feel and see the places they wanted to actually potentially live in. So we could see that immediately. But then also more interestingly was seeing the difference between the metro regions and the regional areas. Uh, I can say that the inquiry in the regional areas has just been extraordinary and we've seen very strong price growth
1: is, is that people period. wanting to get out of the, the big cities
3: yeah very much and it's also about people thinking differently about how they live you know, what we've seen through COVID is really that it's been that forced change that's been discussed for a long time about people being more flexible about using technology it's gone from being something we might do at some point to we've got to do it guys do you and
0: think, though, that yeah. that's a sustained um, situation? Like, do you think it's people moving to the, or buying property in the country or in regional areas, do you think they're going to stay there permanently when we do go back to a somewhat post-COVID normal situation?
3: I think there's a bit of a, a dream period at the moment where some people think, hey, it's just going to be wonderful, I'm going to move out, we're going to be able to commute a couple of days a week and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that'll work for a lot of people. Depending on the, the sector you're in, depending on exactly how far away you are from your peers, you know what your sort of life circumstances might be, but it's not going to be uniform across the entire sector. Yeah. Mm. I,
1: I read um, Max that in the states, a lot of people are having regrets now of fleeing big places, mm. buying places basically unseen, and then they find out they're not equipped to live on a big pl- big place or they paid over the odds or the house they bought is full of termites or something because they were sick of b- missing out so they just said we have to have it. Yeah. Maybe Jess?
0: Mm. What are you seeing on that front, Brian?
2: Well, I'm forecasting uh, 60,000 people, 60,000 jobs remote, remotely in uh, New South Wales in regional areas and 40,000 jobs in Victoria and that's that's a substantial number of jobs. Now that's... that's, that's uh, that's not the total number I think uh, those jobs will be hybrid jobs and that by that I mean hybrid between working from the office and working at at home so it'll be probably four three or sorry a four, four three week or five or, or uh, a uh, three uh, well, a five day week or sorry a four day week or a three day week in the office. Mm-hmm now that's that's that that but that's substantial because that can create the clustering and the uh, agglomeration in those areas for other services and so when you think of it you know It can could create restaurants, could could create uh, gyms, specialised gyms, women's gyms. It could create the demand for um, more medical services, and that that could feed on itself.
1: Agglomeration. Sorry, can you just explain that term and what it means?
2: That means when when you when you when you're growing, you get one plus one equals three, and but but one plus one, and that means the professional services people like to go out. At night, they like to drink. They like to eat. They they like to party. Uh, you you like to party? I I, I do, <laughs> Harry. I know you like to
3: party. <laughs> yep. I, I suspect Max likes animal. to party that's too. A, that's no, right. I definitely don't like to party. So. Yeah,
2: but but uh, but they they buy all sorts of services. They buy tel- Telstra services. They they buy ADSL lines. They buy mobile phones. They buy. Computer equipment, ADSL, what, yeah. What century are we in? <laughs> Well, well, I still have an ADSL line at Y River,
3: so well, uh, yeah. You can get Starlink. That's coming soon. That's the new uh, Elon Musk satellite service. Well,
2: I'll definitely get that. I'll <laughs> get So, so the the services economy really takes off. Now, can it take off? I, I'm not so sure because we haven't we haven't uh, got the policies to support that. You know. In, uh, in uh, Newcastle, uh, or the Hunter, um, they, they haven't got the, 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 the defense hub to support it uh, yet. They haven't, uh, in, in Bendigo, they're getting a, a, a public services hub, but that, that's relatively small. Mm-hmm. They've got no land left. So we, we, we weren't prepared for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm despairing of it because we, we, we've, I've forecast a five year window to take up the employment, and if, if it's, but but then it's a once-only structural readjustment and then
1: business returns to the CBD. So, but we aren't prepared. Mm. J- just going back to the demographics, what, uh, what are the projections to are things going to pick back, are we going to revert to the norm? Uh, it's a post-COVID normal.
2: So um, we will get 1.1 million people less in Australia and lost to the the system. And that that translates into about 500,000 houses. It's a substantial number of houses. But you can't see it yet because it's a low interest rate environment. So um, we are predicting three years hence for the impacts because uh, the uh, migration is predicted to... um, normalise in, in three years but I don't think it will But it's, and it's capped at 160000 mm. because of the cap it can't increase mm. so the, 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 the number is effectively lost to the system and the, the lower interest rate environment is pulling forward pulling forward purchasing decisions and uh, pulling forward buyers because it's cheaper to buy than rent in a lot of areas, uh, in particularly fringe areas of Sydney and
1: Melbourne. Hmm. What sort of government policies, Max and uh, Harry, are you saying should support this sudden change? You mentioned government policies. Oh, well, well, um, there's a there's a range of policies
2: and programs that, that, that should be should be immediately implemented, but they they won't be immediately implemented. We'll, we'll go we'll go through the planning system. It'll take three years. Before you rezone anything, and and the the all will be lost. So you you, you need policies like um, putting it, put land developers putting their hand up to to redevelop or, or subdivide and and being allowed allowed to do it on the spot. Uh, it would you, it would take a radical policy to take advantage of this situation, um, and it, it would throw everything in the air, and and. Uh, and
1: not, not rely on traditional policies at all. What do you think, Jess? Are we ready for that? Is the planning industry uh, capable of that uh, fresh, fresh uh, thoughts? What do, you th- what do you think, Jess, Max?
3: Well, I don't know. It's a poli- uh, sorry, I don't think it's a, a sector issue for the planners. I think it's a government policy issue. Mm-hmm. That's really where a lot of this stems from. And to Harry's point, at the moment, we've got this moment in time where all of a sudden all the Impetus behind the oft discussed decentralisation agenda that you know people have talked about for many years, we've got the ability to actually take advantage of that shift at the moment, as long as we can support it with the infrastructure that we need. So uh, that it needs. So what does that mean? That means you need to create. More housing in areas that are possibly not infill, which is really what, where government policy, particularly in Victoria, has been for a long time. It's pu- pushing people more out to the suburbs again. It means that if you want to take advantage of people working from home or working closer from home, you've got to, to home. You've got to be able to create places for them to actually work from, because not everyone wants to work from their home all the time. Hmm. So you need to create hubs. You know that's where the agglomeration benefit. That we were talking about before comes from. It's about having a a density of people to support the services and facilities and to make it actually workable longer term. If we don't make those changes and don't do those things now, you're going to see that natural creep back into the city over time. Um, And Brian's 100% right that there are numerous things that have been proposed over the years in many, many cases all around Victoria, around the country really, that have been caught up in you know, bureaucratic political decision making, and now's not the time to be continuing down that front. You've got to look at projects on their merits, and you've got to let them actually get through the system in a timely manner, or we'll miss the boat.
1: Experimentation, Jess. Are
3: it's we
0: open been to a it? very common theme in our podcast, Pete. <laughs> well,
1: well, 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 Harry, there's uh, there's always the naysayers. Yep, Max. Uh, and what would you say to the naysayers?
2: I would say two things. Firstly. Um, I'm predicting a, a five-year window, and but if I'm not, a bit, but if I'm wrong, and it's a long-term, a long-term trend, then you really, really want to get on your bike, and because it will, it will be a natural thing, and we are not prepared for for it at all, because you know, in Victoria, in New South Wales, we're doing tremendous things in the in the suburbs, the suburban rail loop, tremendous, northwest metro in Sydney, tremendous we're not doing anything in the country. <laughs> it still takes three hours. It's three hours to get to Newcastle on the fast train, three hours, and it's 150 kilometers, 150 kilometers. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, you know, those, those, those types of things should be immediately snapped, snapped and, and changed. And it's, not, it's not, just, not just infrastructure, it's actual programs. You know, you hear about the s- submarine program and it, it may, may be off, it may be on, it may be off, but, but we have to confirm it because there's jobs involved in it and research, and it's close to universities, but we have to take decisions like that and stick to them. We have to take decisions like the Joint Strike Fighter in Newcastle and stick to it, uh, and, and it'll be, uh, it'll be ser- serendipitous, um, but it, it's going to take action.
0: One of, the, um, one of the key points in your paper, Harry, was about the loss of the CBDs and that being a gain to suburban and regional offices and hubs. So do you think um, this might be one of the shakeups that we need to develop those true suburban activity centres that we've all been harping on about for many, many moons and we haven't necessarily seen successfully implemented?
2: Yes, yes, undoubtedly. It's a window, a window of opportunity. Um, it's a window because of uh, flexible work, f- flexible working arrangements, co-working arrangements. Um, it's a pity we haven't got more universities um, because, you know, for example, uh, in the west of Melbourne, we don't have a, a, a university in the suburbs. We've got VUT, but it's a, that's essentially an inner city university. We need collaborations. Because in collaborations, if you think about the Parkville hub, and that, that's in the inner city in Melbourne, and Melbourne University, one of the most famous health hubs and medical research hubs in the world. Um, that can be replicated. But we're not replicating it yet. And we, we need to. Uh, CSL is, has, has a big plant in Broadmeadows. That's mm-hmm. uh, on the Western Ring Road. It's about 15 kilometres from the CBD. And they're building another plant at uh, the airport. And that would suggest that was would be a good area uh, to uh, do health and medical research.
1: Hmm. Um, Harry, what is that p- the paper you've recently released? Can it, you just it, it's, called, it, it's called uh,
2: Remote, Remote, Mobile, and Working from Home. And what was the genesis of that? Uh, in the post-COVID period, in in a post-COVID period, I wanted to I wanted to explore the demand. And supply of of labour. So, so on the on the on the demand side, I've, I've, I've reviewed all the international evidence and national evidence in relation to the demand to work from home. And on the supply side, I've I've a- assessed every every uh, every uh, analysis I could get my hands on survey of what employers
1: thought. Uh, could could be done from home because this is research on the run, isn't it? Because this is just unfolding. Jess has been unfolding for for both of us, for everyone.
2: Well, yeah, you know, I, I was shocked to find out that uh, in the McKinsey has assessed only sixty one percent, sixty one percent of the jobs have have to be done from the office, sixty one percent in the U.S. and the, the, and uh, I was shocked. You know, I thought a lot more jobs could be done from uh, from rem- remotely, and that, that that's that that's conditioned my thinking as to the percentages and and, uh, and uh, the forecast in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you have to think about employers and employees. But you also have to think about the long term. Mm-hmm. In the in the long term, offices are happy places. You know, they they people are influenced. People have worked there for years.
1: They learn. Well, well, a lot of people get the sense of belonging and
3: contentment. And for some
1: people, it's a huge part of their
3: lives.
0: Mm, and yes. social connection as well.
3: That's right. There's only so much you can replicate that on Zoom or Teams. Mm. And that's why I was saying before, I feel like there's sort of this you know, dreaming period where it all just gonna, it's all just going to work out and we'll be able to keep working from home. But anecdotally... You know, the people I speak to have really been missing going to the office and were so happy to come back when mm. they were first allowed to. And we're hearing, you know, as of, as of now, the Victorian government releasing, uh, reducing some more of those restrictions. I do think people will, on balance, mostly flood back to the city if they can and yeah. to the office.
0: It, it's a really interesting one, I think, in the context of productivity, because I've, I've found we've gone back um, every three weeks the last month or thereabouts and i find i'm much more efficient at home in terms of productivity but absolutely love that office environment but i think it's the it's a social connection that you get in the office but then from a productivity perspective you've got coffee you've got lunch you've got people coming up to your desk and asking questions and so from that perspective it's it's more of a challenging argument but also i think from a um, social perspective it's fantastic and but really good for your mental health but
2: i don't think that's purely social you 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 True. learn you learn to influence people in an office environment for True. example and and you influence people by uh, by social means yes and it's you have an
3: influence it's it's actually the creative part of the, the job yeah. you know you have those incidental conversations you know the water cooler talk or the coffee talk you know, you don't have that when you're stuck at home. Yes, mm. you'll, you'll finish off your paper earlier, but you actually miss out on those intangibles. Correct. And, and that, that's what creates value in business and for people. Yeah, you know, and,
0: and the other key thing there is the mentoring aspect, which that's you right. really don't get on Teams or Zoom. or well, it's much harder to do anyway, but, um, you know, that's just embedded in everyday life in the office and something that I think everyone has probably missed.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, the informal, the informal tap on the shoulder, what are you doing, mate? Um, you don't do it that way. Mm. Let me show you, mm. and you can uh, save two days worth of work mm. by uh, t- uh, explaining well, one calculation. Yeah.
1: Also, you know, with business or any relations, we're human. We we pick up clues from the people we're dealing with all the time, whether it's business, whether it's work. You know, all sorts of things. We we're very attuned to seeing and responding the three D rather than on a screen. I think
2: that's, that's right. Exactly right that that's why of that's why i think <clears throat> it'll be a five year structural readjustment we we're behind the times in australia the people have been working from home for years in in, in, in the states my sister has been working from home she's a computer analyst she's been working from home with her husband for for 15 years mm. full time uh, they've just gone they've just done away with the office the office completely they they don't even go back to base, never. So we're we we're, we're behind the times here. That's why I think there was, there will be a structural readjustment, and then we'll get on with business, and the uh, the CBD will come back big time.
0: And how do you think you factor in? I guess what we've just spoken about there, <clears throat> in the health equation. So thinking about you know people's mental health and their physical health and. The social connection that they get of being in the office and socialising with people—how does that fit into this sort of economic equation that we're talking about?
2: Well, in the paper, I go into quite a bit in terms of social isolation, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp that says social isolation is bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. bad for your mental health. Mm. It's bad for your it's bad for your physical health because you're ultimately uh, you ultimately lose connection. And in losing connection, you lose uh, a sense of self.
1: I think, Harry, you mentioned – sorry, Jess – you know, if if there's so many single-person households Mm -hmm. and if you're in a single-person household and you work there and you stay there, you're not getting out of the place or you're losing so much richness in your life.
3: It's too easy to stay home and Mm -hmm. never leave, you know. So it's, it's the mental health aspect of the solitude and not seeing other people but it's also even a physical thing where you might not go any further than the bedroom to your study to the fridge all day and not have that incidental walk to get to the car or to the train station or meet someone. So mm. there's also that really physical aspect to it as well as the loneliness and isolation.
1: I,
0: I, I, think, I think I've given this analogy a couple of times, but um, years ago when I did my um, thesis, um, when it was part of my masters of public health, Um, There was a stat that stayed with me because that that thesis was around social isolation and the health impacts of um, of such a um, such a thing. And it was that social isolation can be compared to smoking ten cigarettes a day, and I think it was I think it was three or four beers or glasses of wine. Sounds like a wild lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) But
3: that's the health. In my twenties, lucky you weren't lonely though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you had that on your
0: side, Pete. (laughs) so that's the um, the comparison I think that has been made previously i just I'd be interested to know how that will play out
2: uh, it'll play out in productivity mm. because you will be less productive Ultim- ultimately you'll you'll be less creative you'll you'll watch TV and uh, use social media and that will that will blunt your senses you and yeah. normalis- enormously and i think I think on that on that basis you won't be promoted because mm the stats the stats suggest people working from home are less likely to be promoted and so you'll be stuck on your own
1: forever so <laughs>
2: you've heard it
0: here first that's, everyone that's yep. get position, out of the house but you're prob-
3: probably not far <laughs> off. now, now yeah. harry
1: you, you mentioned before not everyone can work from home and that that's the study so what sort of percentage i think you mentioned 61 percent in the states can't work from home, was it? That's right. Can't work or can
2: work for less than one day from home, like a half day. Yep. Um, and the McKinsey have done a, a significant study and uh, uh, I've benchmarked Australia on that study as 61%. But uh, the UK is a bit different. It's at 50%. Um, and they've benchmarked other, other cultures or nations uh, in relation to... Knowledge transfer, computer, computer literacy, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they've done a very detailed study of what tasks can be done in isolation, and I, I was really impressed with the what what tasks be, be, can be done in isolation. And they added them all up, and said 61% uh, can be done from less less than one day at uh, less than one day at work. So so, so yeah. essentially,
1: most people need to be at that's, work.
2: That's right. Mm. That's right, and that shouldn't surprise you because we are at work.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the changes have not been uniform, have they? Some sectors have been able to embrace this new style of work, but others haven't. Which which sectors can embrace it best? Do you think?
2: Oh, um, there's a well, a number of studies that look like that, but it's it's parts of industries. So, if you if you if you thought about the finance industry, the back of house can be all done from home, but the front of house, the sales, has to be done face to face. You know, uh, fa- uh, finance finance and insurance, that uh, takes deal making, it takes, it takes uh, information on bond markets, it takes a lot of factors into account, and the the front end of that industry can't be done from anywhere else but. Per, uh, uh, personally, you look at the legal industries; they have really struggled. You know, we what we're we're a year behind uh, yeah. <laughs> from the the legal industry in in, in Victoria is a year behind because they just couldn't run cases because mm. people didn't know how to deal with 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 COVID, and uh, that it, it was it was a uh, it was a face to face operation. Mm-hmm. So you know, well, and sure tele- tele- telehealth, you know, telehealth can work to a certain a certain extent, but but. You know, when I go to a doctor, it, it's it always chock-a-block. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. Max, what, what do you think?
3: Well, the other side of it is if you do have people working remotely most of all of the time, then if you look at, it, look at us in a more global sense, all of a sudden that opens up a lot more jobs to remote work overseas. And if you want to talk about employment and full employment and having opportunities for Australians, that's actually going to diminish quite a lot of them. Mm. So let's not forget that part of the equation. Uh, there, uh, just if,
1: explain that a bit, because um, there's a lot of people say uh, in third world countries that can do, who are v- recently well, very well educated, who can do a lot of the tasks. Okay. Well,
3: that all works. that back office stuff that Harry was talking about, but it's actually more than that. You know, there mm. are examples of, I've seen of architects trained in India on. Australian standards you know on the BCA or on Res Code or that sort of thing so we, were,
2: we, we commonly work with architects that back a house in India yeah most well most of the firms yeah. already are already in India
3: but I've heard of tax agents overseas that have been trained in Australian GST law like all these things start oh. to come up mm-hmm. so there are specialists overseas where you, you know some companies will say well we're not in the office anymore let's Let's reduce the force base that we have. Let's cut down our numbers locally, and all of a sudden you have some of these back of house things. Mm. that's almost days.
1: what's happened to the manufacturing sector in Australia yeah. from uh, from the 70s onwards. So
3: knowledge workers who think they're safe because they've been working in high paying jobs and been able to work remotely from home in their in their bedroom and thinking how secure mm. they are probably haven't thought through the implications of that if it's a long term change.
0: Yeah. Thank you to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website.
1: Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website.
0: This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at 1 Mile Grid. 1 Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. Do you, what about the startup market? I'm not sure if there's something This is something your paper goes into, Brian, but is this an opportunity for the startup market or is it the complete opposite of an opportunity. This is this the worst time to be starting a business?
2: Well, no. I, I think it's a good time to, to start a business when, when it, whenever there's a crisis, start a business because if you can start a business in a crisis,
1: you're, you're <laughs> going to be, be a success. Yes, I started my business 30 years ago in the last big recession Victoria had, and you know that's is that, when is you re- that why
0: you started the business? Yeah, because
1: I, I didn't want to take the fifth pay cut. Yeah, I was okay. working for a firm that had 125. When I left, there was 25, and. It was a great company, but they said, "Look, we just we just don't have the." It was an architectural firm, and I thought rather than take the fifth pay cut, um, I would have a crack myself. So, well, particularly
2: particularly with technology now, there's so yeah. much well, well, tech that, tech yeah. around. You can you can do so much with AI. You know, mm. I'm into AI big time because it's 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 uh, you know automated vehicles and uh, AI in retail. You, there, there, there's so much to it. We can we can develop businesses in Australia of of international significance, and we are developing into businesses of international significance. But it will take something like the the COVID crisis to force people to to, to consider that mm-hmm. because you know you might be working in the Department of Planning on a good job, and your contract's up, and you you've given a flick, and you think what what are we going to do? Well, you but you
1: do something. More useful than that. Mm. Can we talk about the office restrictions on the density of people in offices, and what's that? What's that going to do to office demand?
3: Well, you've got a, a probably a triple whammy in some parts of the country where you've got people working from home, you've got reduced migration to take up the slack and arguably an overbuild in some of the commercial space as well. So it's going to be re- really interesting to see how that plays out, particularly in the big CBDs like Melbourne and Sydney. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly where that'll land, but you'd have to imagine there will be you know a fair amount of supply or oversupply coming on, especially when more businesses are likely to be consolidating space rather than taking up additional space. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that might open up opportunities around repurposing and reuse. Uh, you'd need the planning laws to allow for some of those things to happen, which is a whole you know separate topic. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be challenging for some commercial landlords.
2: What do you think, Harry? Yeah, it, uh, it will definitely be challenging. I um, I think um, again in the three to five year run, it'll 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 wash out. But, but I'm 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 confirmed with that because um not many people are uh, starting commercial buildings now. There, there's, there, there is an interesting spread of buildings. Under, a lot under, under construction. Estru- under I construction. Guess. So it might, might take five to seven years. But in, on, by the same token, there's a lot of people on five-year leases. Like I'm on, on a five-year lease and I, I signed it up last year. So um, it, it, it will be over time. And so because it, because it will be over time, it'll be, the, the uh, impacts will be ameliorated. Now, having said that, um, I, I think th- that uh, people will, will require um, additional space, um, f- you know, in 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 offices, and you can think about increasing their office floor space from ten or eleven square meters per person to fifteen to seventeen, and that would be there would be substantial, a substantial increase in demand for floor space, a really substantial increase in in floor space because it applies to everyone in existing space. So, you know, you have to think, it's not obvious how how it will play out, but also, you know, the the price of rent will come down, and it's coming down, and that will inevitably suck more people in because the inner rings of... um, of Sydney and Melbourne was were the supply source for uh, the CBDs and that that they, they are likely to be impacted more than the CBDs because the CBDs will outcompete them
1: with a lot of the densities or restrictions on occupancy and that's set by the chief health officer do you think there's a need for that advice to be constantly under review
3: Getting a bit political here. No, no.
1: Well, it's just like like any
3: regulatory... It's a really interesting question, and I'll I'll put it to you in these terms. Um, When every decision or the only decision that matters is that of the chief health officer, whose primary role is to ensure health, then you're going to get the outcomes that we've had, which is health is number one, therefore don't take any risk or don't allow anything that could possibly... Create you know some sort of uh, outbreak. I think moving forward, I mean, obviously we've got the vaccines coming out, which will be really helpful, uh, and you know that should that should help everyone get back to normal to the extent practicable. But sometimes it would be interesting to see how that would be counteracted or counterbalanced by some other views, because health is obviously incredibly important, but if it's the only thing it's ever considered, you get the sort of snap lockdowns and things that we've seen, which some would argue, I'm probably in that camp, that the last one was a bit too harsh.
2: Hmm. Well, I, I see the, uh, the the COVID period dragging into 2022 and, and late 22.
1: And I, I don't see it being over anytime soon. I, I suppose the question is, if, if this is going to be a, a, a steady around with us a while, then presumably, just like any regulatory control it needs to be out there transparent and to be able to be challenged and to be open to you know, variation as, as things become more known but that that's and that might have a flow on to office demands and things like that do you think it's another regulatory risk i'll put it in that category well it's
2: definitely a risk you know but i I've, I've been shocked by shopping centers you know they don't have any controls <laughs> As to the amount of people in the regional shopping centres, they have no controls of, about the amount of people in them. So I, I take my cue from that because if they if they if they, if they don't have any controls, why should why should there be any controls on 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 program spaces?
0: I, yeah, if you're going to get COVID anywhere, it's definitely in a shopping centre. That's right. At the to be there, isn't <laughs> it? That's right.
2: So I just, I just don't understand the lo- the logic. Some mm. people
3: have questioned the lack of consistency in some of the decision making. Clearly. So well,
1: and it, it, to be fair, although I don't want to be fair to the C. Chief Health Officer, they're learning on the job, but they take an extremely cautious approach, Absolutely. and there's not the with all regulation. There's always an element of well, if we don't want anyone to die in a car, we don't have cars. You know, there's always a, a balancing act, isn't there?
3: We, we seem to be heading to a point, though, where no risk is acceptable.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, and that's in many sectors. I mean, is an example of that, but it's, it's commercial, it's political. There's any number of places where you've gone from there being some Appetite for some risks to wanting to have everything in every possible scenario covered off up front, and that's stifling innovation. It's stopping things from happening. It's certainly stopping a lot of things in planning as well, and you know, from from uh, taking shape.
1: Well, there's unintended consequences that aren't factored into the equation. But can we move into the CBDs because uh, what they've been absolutely smashed in well Melbourne in particular? Mm. Can you talk to that, Harry?
2: Yeah. Um it's interesting if you looked at uh, Adelaide CBD, um, it's, it's still fifteen percent less mobile. fifteen percent people of uh, less in there. If you looked at um, uh, Perth, there is about the, the same number in there. If you looked at um, Sydney uh, Sydney is about forty percent less. and you looked at Melbourne fifty percent less. Now Sydney hasn't had any any constraints on 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 people. Shifting in in or out at all, the only constraint in Sydney is public transport, and you have to socially distance. But I but I worked there and I, I and I, I lived there for six months the the end of the last year, and uh, people weren't social distancing and they weren't were wearing masks. So, you know, fifty percent of the people weren't wearing masks. But so I think I think that's a bit of bit of a furphy. But if if only forty percent, if if only if, uh, if only if 40% less people are working in Sydney CBD at the moment, you can expect Melbourne to get up to 40% 40% less. But I can't see it going much past that in in the short term, and because and and that 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 is an agglomeration economy in reverse because all of the services have, uh, are going broke. So in 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 my laneway equitable place, 50% 50% have gone broke. And the other
1: 50% are struggling. That's it's horrible. Uh, Jess, have you been in the city?
0: No, I haven't. I've only oh. been to South Bank. I haven't actually ventured I in properly. returned to
3: the city for the first time in 12 months last weekend. And it's exactly that. You're seeing so many shop fronts closed up. Uh, I mean, interestingly, there is a bit of a buzz. People are trying to come back in. But you, know, you don't have that during the week anymore. Because mm-hmm. during the week, you're reliant on the international students, which are no longer there. You're reliant on the renters who have left in droves. Uh, You're reliant on obviously the office workers who aren't able to be there. So those businesses reliant on a weekday trade are just decimated. You you might get the pub and the restaurant surviving because people come there after hours and they're able to now. But those businesses are really gonna struggle. And any business that loses 40% or 50% of its foot traffic long-term is not gonna survive. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what we're seeing at the moment. I'm midterm, I'm hopeful, I'm I'm optimistic about the CBD, but it's going to take a lot of people flooding back into Melbourne and it is going to have to be led by migration of both permanent migrants and students whenever that can start coming back.
0: And how do you think we encourage people to actually hit the streets again? How do we get workers back in the city? I mean, putting aside the 50% um, worker restriction that we currently have how do we get people back in because i feel like currently even though we do have that 50% availability a lot of people aren't taking it up it's so, it's,
3: it's a lack of confidence firstly mm. and partially it's the public transport thing where people you know have have developed an aversion to going on public transport now they're nervous that they might be on a you know tin can and someone has it and all of a sudden they're caught up and infected by covid even though the numbers suggest it's virtually impossible it's moment. interesting
2: no no one's got no one's caught COVID from public transport.
3: Correct. So that's right. That know, was asked
2: in Parliament y- y- in y- yeah. but, but that's
3: mm. a perception issue. And it's a real like a lot of a lot of this is perception that people are worried because of how it's been portrayed, not necessarily understanding the relatively low risk. In, again, in, in absolute terms. Yeah. Um, so that that's one thing. But secondly, from a business confidence perspective, again, we saw these snap changes of rules. So as a business, you're having to constantly re-educate your staff. What can you do? What can't you do? When can you come in? What do you sign in? Do I have to take your temperature this day? Do we have to have a density limit on this room again? It's a really difficult operating and, and, environment. And
2: you have to d- density limits in lifts.
3: Yeah, it's it's in lifts. But in, in, we <laughs> well, had density up, limits in our, yeah. in, in our kitchen. You know, We mm. weren't allowed to have more than two people in there because it was mm. under 10 square meters or whatever it was. And so you, so as a business owner, you're saying, well, why do I want to bother. Why don't I have to have the effort of making my workplace meet all the criteria and the the rules that constantly change. It's easier to keep people at home. Mm -hmm. Max, we've said in a couple
1: of podcasts ago that what we were talking about was a massive government campaign to basically unscare people, to get the confidence back because people are very spooked.
0: But I think people have also just forgotten how to come into the city. They've they've forgotten that that routine, they've but, forgotten the exciting but, parts of coming to the but, city. But if
1: they had some facts, if the public were made, had greater information about the risks of COVID and,
3: you know, what... That's a pretty big about face though, because it, everyone it, for it the is. last year has been told this Spoke- is super, super dangerous. You are you know, it's, you, you may not die, but your grandparent will die, mm. whatever the case well, might be. There's a really... Whether or not it's borne out in the facts, that's what people perceive.
1: Yeah. But, but you've got some very clever marketing and advertising guys who can say, "Well, we've gone through this horrid time, we've beaten it now."
3: Bad news travels much faster than good news. <laughs> it does.
1: But now we can, you know, the, if if you do this, the risks of getting something are like you know, really low. We've got this covered. We've got new medicines.
2: I'm I'm heartened by um, a percentage of people. Uh, that are in the CBDs that are, are doing business as, as usual. You know, if you look at the top end of Flinders Lane, um, it's it, it's the, the restaurants are doing well, um, uh, and that's a that's a little cluster. Yeah. And there's little clusters in places, but I think I think if we uh, if we had events, and you know, I was sorry to hear the um, uh, Australian Open. W- on the biggest day and valentine's day that was that was bone crushing for all victorians because it was a signal that um it was a signal that it wasn't over and and it was the the wrong signal in my opinion to give i i I would have waited till the monday Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but My,
3: my, my perception around the place was you know people accepted the realities of the previous lockdowns they could they could understand why that happened but anecdotally, this time, this last lockdown was seen in a very different light. Mm. It was seen as an overreaction to relatively small numbers. And you would have thought, after nearly a year of being able to plan for this, that we should be able to contact Trace and corral a relatively small breakout, notwithstanding it might be the, the UK strain.
0: Mm. I was um, I was out in the city along South Bank that Friday night when the lockdown came into effect at 12 midnight. And I've never seen South Bank more pumping. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> It was quite incredible. I
2: was out I was too. Oh, two. you were there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. But, you know, I think, I think events is what's going to do it because mm. events, so I think the footy is going to be big, you know. Well, that's
0: the, just been announced, hasn't it? It's 50% capacity. That's right. Yeah. That's
2: right. So, and, and I was really heartened by Moomba, you know. Mm. the know. The can, yeah, cancelling of Moomba, I thought, oh. God, that's go- – well, and for, for uh, uh, people that don't understand Moomba, it's a cultural event in Melbourne well, and it's the,
1: well, the biggest well, cultural also, event in Melbourne. Also Anzac Day is special- yep. I mean, you don't cat. well, I-, I can think of that unthinkable. That's right. Especially Anzac Day. That's right.
2: And so we'll, we'll, we'll bring confidence back when we bring events back because that will bring
1: people back. Mm-hmm. Um Harry, just getting back to your paper. Can you describe that hybrid work model and, and, and how that goes?
2: Well, I I think the hybrid model will be uh, a maximum uh, three two three day three days uh, three days uh, in the workplace and two days at home on average. Um, It'll be either three days at work or four days at work, and th- that's the new hybrid model. That would roughly translate into an equi- equivalent amount of floor space because if you, if you adjust for an increase in floor space and, and a 3-2 model, roughly, it, it rough, roughly works out to, to be the same. Mm. So if, if people go on a 3-2, uh, a 3-2 uh,
1: work plan, uh, that'll be fine in my, in my, my opinion. Max, how's that going to work for a business? You've got some of your work – I mean, it's like a, a moving roster. Some people are in on Monday. That's his day off. Tuesday. No,
2: Tuesday. but, I, I, but I, I think it will, will apply to um, groupings, not, not individuals.
3: Yeah. 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 I look, I, I, I think there'll be some of that. I, I have a slightly different take on it. And I think for it to actually be effective, you've still got to have core days where everyone is there. I, I don't necessarily agree with this idea that you'll have the blue team and red team in on different days, because I think that's where you start to really miss out on that agglomeration yeah, it's benefit. A kind of silo but, too, isn't it? Correct. Totally. I, I, I don't, I don't support that sort of method, methodology. And the trouble is, I don't know how you then manage it. Do you literally just have an office that works three days a week and everyone's not there for the other two? Mm. Um, and I it comes have, back to that.
0: It comes back to that conversation we're having earlier about culture and socializing. You need that massive people in order for that to work
3: and and again to it's more effective. than the socialization for us the, you know i don't know how it is for other businesses but i get the most value in the days where i can just knock on someone's door and mm. say hey what are you up to yeah you know, it's not even a social call it's, yeah. it's a business thing we're, we're chatting about what you're up to but yeah. it's a reminder of what i need to do it's a thought about you know what else i could be considering it's a different way of thinking about something mm. That's actually the most valuable thing that I think businesses miss out on if they're not in the same place.
2: Yeah. Uh, They definitely miss out, but the research suggests that in terms of employers, um, 70% 70 of employers are willing to go down the path of um, 3-2 or 4-1, and 30% are not.
1: Is that because they're worried about... Productivity, keeping you know, ha- getting the best out of the workers. I mean, what's the what's the sort of the counter view that I want everyone in the office?
2: Well, you know, it's uh, you might not uh, you might not get the best people. You best you might miss out on good talent, and from from a talent point of view, uh, that's that's everything. And you know, uh, Google Google and uh, Alphabet and uh, Facebook are all building more floor space as we speak. They are in increasing their floor, floor plates due to headcount, but they're increasing because of collaboration. So, so I take my, my cues from them as well, because they know, they, they know that the percentage of people can work from home and, and percentage of people can work in the business and on the business. So, you know, I think it's pretty safe. It's really safe, a 401 is really safe. Yeah. A 3-2 might, prob- might be problematic, but a 3-2 may maybe may only 30% of businesses will go for that.
3: Yeah. And mm-hmm. look, the other side of it, and I, I think it's a great point about those you know, larger, more, uh, you'd call them progressive businesses. That's fr- actually what they are. But what they realise is, again, how to foster that value of the collaboration. And so what will happen is, you know, in, a, in a competitive marketplace, there might be some businesses say, hey, you know what, just come whenever you want. You know, we'll manage, oh. and uh, people will do what they do. But then they will fall behind those businesses that say, you know what, we actually need you here the five days or the four days. Oh. And that's when I think business will have to reconsider if that if they want to compete, they might have to actually change that flexibility. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, but it,
2: but it's not not nine to five. So it just yeah. it's not nine to five. You know, we work from um, four o'clock in the morning till um, roughly. Ten o'clock or eleven o'clock at night, because we're we're in Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, we and you can get an email at any time. So it's 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 working working uh, not in time. It's working on function. But I think if if the, the public transport was more flexible, you know, the Craigieburn line, the, the, that's the main northern line, works on 20-minute intervals outside the peak. But if it worked on five-minute intervals outside the peak, you might get that. You might pop into the office for two hours and pop home, and that would be, that would be fine. But we're not thinking fluidly.
3: Mm. Yeah. It's, it's core hours rather than core days. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: Mm. Definitely. The, the, the trouble with tra- you know, increased transport services, there's also this debt elephant that's bearing down on us too. And rates are very, very low now, but who's to say you know, that magic inflation might come back? And what that's going to do to... you know, And that's another conversation. Any, but any observations on that? We, we have inflated out of every recession
2: in history, and we, we will inflate out of this one.
3: But the only way we can do that is if migration comes back. That's the thing. We are, as a nation, still reliant on people coming here. We're not big enough as... Australia alone, to keep growing at the rates that we have in the past. So if we want to see that, we do need to see that return to migration sooner. And I would argue bigger, at least for a period of time until you can get back to a, a true normal.
1: You mentioned the 160 cap before. Yep. That's a, can you just explain that and, and whether there's political resistance to changing that? And that's to your point, Max. No, no,
2: there's... there's um, it, Scott Morrison imposed a 160,000 cap um, a year ago or two years ago, and it was bipartisan. and uh, And migration policy has always been pretty bipartisan in Australia, uh, particularly you know when we when we, were, when we went up to 300,000, um, it was bipartisan because we needed we needed the people we needed to feed the the mines and and. Uh, and uh, the uh, the back of house in accounting and IT and and all that, um, it's subs- it subsided because the jobs market wasn't so good, um, and the jobs market is getting good because if we don't have any migration, it, the uh, the unemployment will continue to tighten because <laughs> because you've got a got a uh, a known number of people in the job market and migration. Uh, produces about 100 and, well 80 or 90,000 new new people every year in the workforce so a couple of years of that will 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 play out and then there will be demand for 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 employment uh, and i i think i think australia is good at a number of things but, uh, but it's getting good at health and medical, it's getting good at IT, but you know, agri- agriculture is, is flying, mining is flying, you know, and, and that's all feeding on itself. So uh, I think I think by, by 2024 and the current, if the current settings were still to apply and that's, and that's the low interest rates and uh, Dr Lowe said that they would apply till 2024, we'll have rampant inflation.
1: Yeah, well, who, who would trust an economist on predicting what's <laughs> going to be happening in three years, four years? I mean. But Max, it sort of can be a political issue more than a economic solution. It could be it could be very, um, we set the cap and that's it, and no one wins any votes by lifting that. Is that a scenario? Uh,
3: I think there's a lot of truth to that. As Harry said before, we've, we've had periods of, of big and small growth. We've always had growth. You know, so we peaked around that 300,000 figure, we're back down to the 160 and a lot of that is driven from, I guess, people being concerned about some of the, the, the perception or the feeling of just how congested some places have become because most of that growth has been felt by Melbourne and Sydney. You know, Melbourne has seen more than 50% of all migrants coming to the country, moving to it. Okay, very, very significant set, set which explains why people have thought traffic's getting worse and the infrastructure's not keeping up. So there's sort of that political informata saying, well, we've got to try and stop people coming to Australia in those numbers to reduce the pressure on those two cities. But if you exclude Melbourne and Sydney, the rest of the country's barely grown for a long period of time. We're now seeing that reverse because of COVID and people wanting to get out of the big smoke. And move to those areas. So now Queensland's back into positive territory. Victoria actually is is on track to net lose people this year for the first time, and uh, I couldn't even tell you. It's probably been early probably nineties. Since the early Early nineties early 90s, yeah. 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 That's right. So it's it's been that long. So that's a, ma- a major reversal in Victoria's fortunes. Certainly Melbourne's fortunes, because it's been the, the vast recipient of those people. Uh, but we we have this incredible opportunity as a nation right now, where because of what we would still say is a, a great overall response to COVID in keeping the numbers down, you know, virtually nothing in the entire country. And certainly when you compare that relative to the US or what's happening in Europe and parts of South America, we've we've, we've done incredibly well. So we could right now be saying, look, obviously we're going to get the vaccines and, and that sorted, but we could be selling ourselves internationally as the place people want to be, smart people want to be, you know, uh, people who want to contribute, they want a better life. We could be really advertising Australia as the place to be and encouraging people to come here. But to your point, the politics probably don't lend themselves to that at the moment because people are saying, well, unemployment's still inflated, which it is, and arguably it's being propped up because of the JobKeeper uh, subsidies currently available, which are about to come to an end. We haven't seen the fallout of all those things happen. the federal government are going to have this decision to make. Do we try and supercharge the recovery by bringing people here and all the economic activity that that brings, including new housing and so forth, or do we try and get the existing workforce back up to full or close to full employment before we do anything else? And I, I'm concerned that if we take that latter approach, which is let's get to full employment before we bring people back in, it's going to make the recovery much longer.
1: Harry?
2: Yeah, it, um, I think we're we're not taking enough risks. You know, we should be building out of town migration centres, quarantine centres, like Howard Springs. Har- Howard Springs was a was a built by Impex. Uh, it was a worker camp. It was just luck.
1: That's, that's up in uh, Darwin.
2: Yeah, it, about, yeah. south of Darwin, mm. but it ha- happens to be close to a new hospital, uh, the a wing of a new hospital in Palmerston. Uh, we could, um, we could do that in Melbourne. Uh, in two months or three months. Is this for immigration? Yeah, or because it,
1: it sounds like the old uh, immigrant COVID,
2: camps. Or Covid, Rome, COVID isn't going. Places. Covid is not going away. Mm. It's not going to yeah, go it's away. It's with us. And yeah, that's right. And we're thinking short term, mm. but take take risks. You know, it, it would be a great thing if we killed Covid in th- three years, but I don't think I don't think it will happen. But in three years, and and if we built if we built the the appropriate immigration centres or quarantine centres and we brought international students back in this would be the best thing for melbourne now you know you could build a a, thou, a thousand uh, the accommodate a 1000 people in 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 the centres and they can be repurposed for a number of things like uh, they, the the demantables anyway they can be repurposed you know we're not taking any risks and and uh, we're letting we're letting we're letting the the uh, uh, COVID control us, and that's what I said initially. We have to take risks with 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 our planning policies and our urban development policies because we're letting we we're, we're assuming it's a short term phenomenon, but it's not a short term phenomenon. It's we're going to have one one point one million people less in Australia. We already know that, mm-hmm. and who knows we could could get a second dip, you know.
3: There could be. Some, I mean, there's a new, there's a new virus every year. They're talking about another strain of bird flu at the moment yeah, somewhere. Yeah. You know, so we, even if we get through COVID, and look, I'm I'm more confident with COVID in terms of seeing some of the uh, vaccine rollouts in other parts of the world. You know, you, you see certain countries like Israel, for example, they've already vaccinated half their population. You know, that that puts things into good stead for other countries that are following suit. I think the vaccines will happen relatively quickly, but we have to learn from pandemics overall. It's not, this isn't gonna be a one-off thing. We've been better generally in history at stopping them before they get too wide, which is something we couldn't do with COVID because of some of the unique properties of its contagion. But we can't assume even if it's not COVID that it's, there isn't something else. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely agree. It's about, we've forgotten how to take risks and it actually makes us poorer as a nation for forgetting how to do that. That's why we're, we are actually, underperforming in terms of education in many places, but also in terms of creating new businesses, because we don't, just don't have this, the, the, I don't know, dare the, I say a, culture? Appetite? Yeah, appetite. appetite? I think it's cultural. A, I think a culture, there's a real, yeah. there's a real yeah. we've, we've been lucky for really long for all sorts of reasons that we can go into. You know, hmm. We know we've been good at digging stuff out of the ground, but we haven't been able to build off that. We haven't been, a, we haven't reinvested in ourselves to you know, create businesses, to create continued growth and wealth internally. And that's the sort of thing we need to do. And the only way we can get there is by actually starting to take risk again.
0: Mm. Brian, before we finish up, I was keen to ask you, as an economist, you must get very excited when new data comes out or new data is released. Oh, yeah. What are you most keenly anticipating in terms of data coming out of the next six, 12 months?
2: Well, in the short term, the next three months, I'm eagerly awaiting... Um, the auction results on the Eastern seaboard because I've got a theory uh, that because of lack of mobility of people, that the markets uh, are gonna be undersupplied. And because you can't move from Sydney, you can't move from Melbourne, you can't move anywhere. And they're, they're gonna be fundamentally oversupplied. And that will cause a property price spike. And that will cause, and, and I, I, uh, I think it would be more than 10%. Mm. But, but I'm eagerly awaiting, uh, eagerly awaiting the number of properties on the market and eagerly awaiting the, the amount of demand because the next three months will, will tell me everything I need to know about mobility and, and the, the property markets.
1: Yep. Max, what are you looking forward to in terms of data or what are you curious about, particularly in the next 12 months?
3: Well, the big one for me has been watching the implications of the home builder stimulus. That's been incredibly powerful in bringing forward a lot of demand, uh, particularly in the house and land space. And what that's meant is all of a sudden, we've got a bit of a crush again on building, particularly in construction. But for me, I fear that all that's done is not stimulate demand, but bring it forward, which means that in absence of migration returning, there's gonna be a real shortfall in demand after what we've currently stimulated is out of the system. And remember, that's a time-limited stimulus package. It's been extended to June 30 with a reduced amount from 25,000 to 15,000. But if, and, and government has been great in supporting the sector, but as I said, all it's done, I think, is bring forward demand that would have otherwise been there, which makes the whole thereafter, short of something else coming in even deeper and longer. And I don't know what that's going to do to the whole sector.
1: I've got one final question, Jess, and that is to, to pose a contrarian position. What about by 2024, no one will be talking about COVID anymore because we've learned to live with it or accept it. But everyone will be talking about debt, economic dislocation and social disruption caused during the lockdowns of 2020 and other measures and... Will the urban patterns of two thousand and nineteen go back? Is that sort of that's sort of your five year compressed a bit? Well, that's right, that's that's exactly because um
2: if if we don't take a risky policy position, that will be the case. It will go back to normal and it will be a, a mere blip. The op- op- the window will be lost, and the opportunity will be lost. And when interest rates in- inevitably increase, Will be stuffed because um that will that will probably coincide with around the time that migration kicks up and and uh, housing is and the housing market tails off big time because if you if you consider from a two percent two percent to four percent is a doubling of your mortgage rate and i don't know whether many people can double their mortgage rates uh, but uh uh the banks have stress tested and so, done so. Um, yeah yeah but it will be it will be inevitable of uh, a long-term four percent interest interest rate it will be inevitable so you know i see i i see those things coming on the near horizon and we we have to take action so we have to loosen up the markets we've loosened up the the interest rate markets we have to loosen up the housing markets to
1: prevent the spike in prices. Well, the asset bubbles are a direct correlation because easy money and, inf- you know, this the amount of money washing through the system. But I,
2: I'd ask the question, what are we doing about it? We're, we're not loosening up the housing markets at all. Well,
1: asset bubbles are the worst thing around. Yeah, Max, but... Max, what, what do you think? 2024, where are we going to be?
3: Well, if... There's a couple of things. If migration does return to more normal levels then i fear that we're going to see a situation where we're not going to be equipped to house them which is i think what brian's really saying uh, particularly in the mid to high-rise sector and, and around the cbd because what people forget is there's a very long lag time in actually getting things approved and up and running and i don't think decision makers necessarily understand that either they think you get your planning permit and off you go and it's just the first part of mm-hmm. of the process um, so At the moment, we're seeing a reduction in approvals, particularly in high-rise, and and people aren't putting things forward for all sorts of reasons. But as and when population growth starts to return to a more normal rate, and as we mop up whatever surplus there might be over the next little couple of years, we're going to find ourselves really struggling to house people again. And I think that's going to be really difficult because you'll have this housing shortage and people won't be able to afford to pay for what's left. And that's where I feel we're heading without some radical changes.
2: It's interesting. Rents are already grabbing. They're, 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 they bottomed out uh, last month. So that's 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 interesting because um, there's there's 15% vacancy rates in Melbourne and in Docklands and the CBD, and in the suburbs they're already they're already flattened out and they're increasing. So um, what Max says is true you know, we we, will have a housing problem of
1: big proportions. Jess, we ask our subjects what words they live by. Harry. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the shortest we've ever had.
2: No, no, no. I've got two mantras. Mm. You buy your freedom Mm. and go for it.
1: And what do you mean by buy
3: your freedom?
2: Um, You buy your freedom in uh, in life.
1: Okay, Max,
2: words? Uh,
3: what, for for me, you? it's it's all about getting things done. You know that that's that's what drives me. You know, never never being the the uh, the bottleneck in something, and always trying to find solutions rather than find problems. Um, and uh, sadly, a lot of my life is dealing with people who only find problems. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So that leads us to the question, Jess. How does Max refresh and relax?
3: <laughs> uh, look. Uh, The first thing I did when the lockdown was announced in March last year was spend the very morning that everything was shutting down, looking for a home gym. So that's the thing that's kept me sane uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, You know, I, I do like to keep physically fit, very important. And I dare say, if I wasn't able to find all the equipment that I needed that morning, I would have been in a very different mental state today. So <laughs> that to me was absolutely fundamental. And look, the, you've always got to find the silver lining in things, but it certainly did bring me a lot closer to my family and my kids over that time. It was, there was and something nice about being stuck at home with the kids and doing Zoom learning and just being there with them. So, you know, there's, there's always a good in the bad, and uh, I did find that quite uh, quite valuable.
1: Hmm. And
2: Harry, refresh, r- relax. Well, I was living in um, Sydney and uh, I decided to shoot up to Darwin and do a road trip with my girlfriend. And we did the road trip from hell. We we went everywhere, Uluru, Coober Pedy, um, Edith Falls. We swam in the falls and... We went to East Arnhem Land and we ripped it up. And so that was a fantastic thing to do because there was not many people on the road. Um, it was really limited people on the road. And we, 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 we just, we, we really enjoyed ourselves. And I, I read a book by, on Tracker Tilmouth, it was, it's called Tracker. And he tracker was a indigenous man from uh, Central Land Council and he was a big thinker. He's always big thinking uh, about cattle stations and producing cattle stations. He bought cattle stations for the central Land Council and he it was a, a really expansive and exciting book. I, I would highly recommend it for, for anyone and and uh, when, I, when I was coming back, I was listening to the to the Teskey brothers. the The, the Teskey brothers are my favourite band. The, I love they're, the Teskey brothers. Yep, yeah, from Warrandyte, the Teskeys. They're they're, they're they, a uh, blues band and they're uh, sensational. And you know, all things Australian. And and, uh, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying being Australian at the moment and doing Australian things. And I've got no interest in going overseas when
1: when the borders open. Jess, I I can say for our listeners that I first met Harry in the summer of 1983 when I was a student planner and he has not changed one (laughs) lot. So so he's still as much fun as ever. And this is our culture corner, Max, where we we ask people what they've watched, seen, done, something that you think our listeners might like.
3: Uh, Well, recently I read um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, So Malcolm Gladwell good non-fiction writer does a lot of really interesting, I guess, arguably contrarian books, you know, that sort of challenge the status quo. And so Outliers is about the assumption that, you know, some people are genuine outliers in the sense that they achieve, overachieve and it's just inherent. And Outliers talked about the fact that it may not be as inherent and there was a lot more about the situation that happened to be in and the luck. Um, that got them to be where they are, be it just being born in the right place at the right time, or, you know, having gone to the right school that happened to have the computer in the 60s that let you start Microsoft, you know, it's that sort of thing. Um, so I found that really interesting and, and it talked a lot about, well, one of the chapters was focused on age groups and age streaming in the sense that, you know, kids are put into a uh, you know, particular year level or they're at the under six footy team, whatever it might be and particularly how at that age, there's such a difference between Mm -hmm. the kids who are the oldest in that year and the kids that that are the youngest. And stats were interesting in that. It showed, I think it was in, might've been ice hockey in in the US where there was a real massive disproportionate number of people who were born in the first three months of whatever streaming year that was, that went on to do things. And you just think about how much talent might've been lost just because they were born three months too late. It's pretty interesting.
1: Mm Harry, what about your culture corner? I mean, I know you mentioned the, your favourite band. Anything else you can add to that? Well, you know, the Teskies are important to me,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and obviously you, Jess. They're, I love them. Yeah, they're from Warren, died, mm. and they're they're, they're an international blues band. They're, they're they're fantastic, but you know, we should we should focus on indigenous indigenous Australia because the Dukin Caves were wrecked by Rio Tinto. the... Um, they're in uh, Jabiru. they're uh they're, the range of mines are being uh, redeveloped and they they are in trouble in the because um the local aboriginal people have to take over t- take over jabberoo um you know we we sh- we we have to think about that as a as a, a I think about it all the time. I think we sh- we should all think about that, not think about COVID, not think about ourselves, but think about more broadly how, how
1: we're coming together. Well, if you think of the top 10 problems in Australia, uh, I would think COVID's number 10. Uh, in in terms of the ranking of the issues that we've got, I would say top a, 20 maybe it'd be 20. That's a really good perspective A really good perspective so for the we're discussion. Gonna, we're going to invite him back. <laughs> Jess, what, what's your culture <laughs> core?
0: Well... I've just started watching a series um, which won't probably interest anyone at this table. Um, Don't be so
1: sexist, <laughs> Jess. We're very sensitive.
0: <laughs> Called the Queen's Gambit. The chess, oh, yeah, the chess chess chess. one. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, people that. have Come seen on. it. Okay, good. Chess is a male very sport. It's well making right, us. Um, Making chess sexy again. I quite enjoy t- uh, it chess. It's always sexy. So what are you talking about? Well, <laughs> more sexy than perhaps what it used to be. Um, <laughs> I've always quite enjoyed chess and it, it's, I think, a resurgence in the chess market. So, it's been very interesting. And in
1: particular, what do you like about it?
0: I just love the entire thing. It's it's the fashion, which, again, probably won't interest anyone at this table. <laughs> What are you saying? <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at Pete. Well, I'm not wearing a
1: T-shirt, Jess. Come on. That a bit cruel.
0: True. I got
1: dressed up for today.
0: <laughs> but the whole story behind it is just really incredible and really interesting. What about you, Pete? I've
1: gone back in time, Jess. I'm getting back into Sherlock Holmes. Oh. And, and I just find his… Old
0: school Sherlock? Uh,
1: the proper The proper, proper stuff. Yeah. yeah Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So just his observation and the, it's taught me the difference between seeing and observation. So I'm reading, I've read this, uh, I'm trying to read it in order. So Study in Scarlet, I've read The Hound of Baskervilles and things like that. But The Sign of Four. But just his methodology, it's it's, it's entertaining, entertaining stories. So um, that's mine. Sherlock Holmes, I'm just... (laughs) So I used it at VCAT the other day. I said, you know, we can see, but we can observe two different things.
0: <laughs> I love the number of things that I'm you manage to. Submissions. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> what, yeah, the number of know, things you manage to get right. into Just your for VCAT
1: other, submissions. Like home, I'm so. swimming in the ocean. I, I, there's a bit, of, a bit of wood floating. I'll grab that, whatever. <laughs> so that uh, brings us to the end of our podcast, yes? And um, listeners, if you do enjoy this, please push to subscribe. Jess, so you can listen to more of our podcasts. But we've had two exceptional guests today, Jess.
0: Uh, we'd like to extend our thanks to UDAA for um, for supporting this podcast today. And I might just throw to Max to just give a um, I guess a quick summary of what UDAA does nationally, just for any of those listeners who haven't heard of UDAA before.
3: Sure. So uh, the Urban Development Institute of Australia has been around the country for over 40 years in fact i think it's up to 45 years in certain states and it's really the peak body for the development industry in australia we have over four and a half thousand members member organizations across the country so anything from you know the large listed developers to people doing a few townhouses, you know in a a suburb somewhere many consultants and and other um, experts as well as a number of local councils and authorities and so forth and we really work very closely with governments at all levels to try and ensure that you know, our industry's voice is heard and that we can deliver trusted, relevant information to decision makers and help you know, push forward uh, positive policy settings. So we're really focused on that and it's, it's great to be part of the organisation.
0: Great. And Brian, just a quick one from you. How can our listeners download or access your paper that we've um, referenced today?
2: I am uh, putting it on the UDO website. Okay. So I'm linking it to the UDO website.
0: Excellent. So we'll put a a link in the show notes to the website and to the paper for any listeners that would like to listen. Um, It's it's an
2: exposure draft. It's pretty rough, but it's my
1: current thinking, so uh, take it for what it is. Fantastic. Harry, Max, Jess, thanks so much for today. It's been a historic occasion for us to be back recording live, and great pleasure. So thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, Jess, as always. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Pleasure. It's been fun.
1: Yeah.